0: Thank you, Seth, very much, a great song selection that's going to go very well with the scripture this morning, and um, a little bit different from how we normally do, where there's normally a passage that I read and work through, we will be looking at multiple texts and two different chapters today, so they're going to be sprinkled throughout the sermon. Instead, it's going to be slightly different, so that's why we're not starting with a, a, a text reading, so let me go right into prayer. Would you please bow with me? Father, I know that I need your help this morning to do this right, to do this well. If I were to depend on my own strength, however, or my own eloquence, that would be such folly. I pray, Lord, that your word would do its job. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his job in taking that word into our hearts. Lord, your word says to us that it will not return void as snow falls and as rain falls and waters the ground and produces growth, you said that your word will accomplish that for which you've sent it out to do. So I am dependent this morning upon you doing what you promise, which is exactly where you want me to be dependent upon you. And I pray, of course, for everyone in here that our hearts would all be like that, that they would be firm, I mean, that they would be good, rather, soil that is ready to receive that word so that it will sprout and produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times as much. Father, please do that work in our hearts this morning, and I ask it in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Welcome, welcome this morning to Worship at Christ Fellowship. So glad that you're here. We're going to be continuing on in our series called Ezra Nehemiah, Rebuilding Through Prayer. Ezra, Nehemiah, rebuilding through prayer. As long as I'm pastor here, every January is going to be devoted to prayer, a series on prayer, so that we start our year off right, refocused on God and Him helping us to be the people that we need to be. Rebuilding is a part of this title Because as we learned last week in Ezra and Nehemiah, there's three parts, really. If you want to break down these two books, you can really break them down into three different leaders. There were three leaders that kind of make up the outline for this book. The first gentleman named Zerubbabel, he was a, a governor who was responsible for the rebuilding of the temple. Then we have the scribe named Ezra. Who's responsible for the rebuilding of the people of God? And he does that with the word of God, which we'll hear more about today. And then lastly, the gentleman Nehemiah. And as you guys know, he returned and was responsible for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And so if you want to really outline these two books, which by the way, when they were first written, were one book with one author. They've just been split for convenience, really, in our modern Bibles Uh, But they were just one long, continuous book back in the day. If you want to understand them really just in three big chunks, that's an easy way to do it. So that's where we're going, and uh, we'll be focusing exclusively on Ezra this morning because we're going to learn something very important about that man that will help us with prayer, something that's hinted at in the title of this sermon, the title being The Word, Obedience ministry and prayer the word obedience ministry and prayer so suppose you and i were having a, uh, a a conversation we're just sitting down we're we're talking and i happen to notice someone i know off in the distance and i direct your attention towards that man and i say to you you know the good hand of god is upon that man The good hand of God's upon him. More than likely, you know what I mean when I say that, right? More than likely, you would interpret that something like, oh, Cohen means by that, he means God's favor's on that man, God's, God's blessing is on that man's life. That's what you would more than likely understand by me saying that, right? You wouldn't really think that I meant there's some massive, huge, heavenly hand resting on that man. No, you would say, well, I know what he means by that. God's blessing that man. His blessing is on that man. You'd probably also conclude, maybe even without realizing it, this would be something that happens subconsciously. Children, that means something that's happening in your mind that you don't even realize you're thinking, but you're thinking it. You might think there's some reason why God's good hand is upon that man, right? You would probably assume that. You, you probably wouldn't think this. You probably wouldn't think, oh, God's good hand is upon that man? Well, he must be in the mafia. Or he, he, he must be a drug dealer or perhaps a murderer. No, you'd be thinking the opposite, right? You'd be thinking God's good hand is upon that man more than likely because God's blessing him because he's probably living a life that God can bless. He's probably a godly man. Wouldn't you be assuming that? You wouldn't be assuming the opposite. And who doesn't want a life with God's blessing on it? Who doesn't, in this room, who doesn't want God's blessing upon your life? If I sat down with each one of you one-on-one and I said, Do you want God's blessing on your life? You would all say to me, yes, Cohen, I do. Of course I do. Absolutely. The great thing about the Word of God that we've got right here this morning is that it's just that. It's God's very Word to us. These are words written down by holy men of old whom the Holy Spirit inspired to write this text We often get insults hurled at us as Christians. I don't believe the Bible because it's written by man. And we say, (laughs) we believe that. (laughs) We believe it's written by man. It's not an insult. We believe it's written by men who are carried along, moved along like a ship is moved along by its sail, wind blowing it. They're moved along by the Holy Spirit to write what he wanted them to write. Holy men taught and inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this message. We believe that. And, thank God, in doing so, we have a God-inspired text. These are the very words of God to man. Revelation from God. God revealing himself to man. In doing so, we have commands on how to walk before him, how to live righteously, how to have a blessed life. He tells us in this word how to have a blessed life, does he not? Which begins with commands concerning the fact that we need to repent first and foremost. There's no way to have God's blessing upon you while you're living in blatant disobedience to him. The first command to sinful man is to repent, turn away from our sins and turn to him and trust that what Jesus did for sinful man on the cross when he shed his blood, died, buried, rose again from the dead, all that was to absorb the wrath of a holy God and his justice that should rightly fall on sinful man. Jesus did that for sinners. And that's really the first command that we receive as Those separated from God because this perfect God man took the punishment in our place. We receive so much instruction in the word on how to be right with God and how to live right before God once we've turned to him, once we've made those choices, once we've been changed within. We then have so many wonderful commands about how to live rightly, how to live that life that God can bless, right? So many on how to live righteously. But we also get examples of the lives of people that are living that way, that we can look at, that we can read about. Because not every portion of the Word of God is just commands, 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 is it? No. Some of it's narrative about a life being lived, and we get to read it as if we're watching a movie, and there's maybe not even direct commands in there, but just watching a life, we can learn and we can mimic that life. And that's what happens with Ezra. That's where we're going with Ezra this morning. We get all these examples of a man with God's good hand upon him. Ezra is one of those lives. So in chapter 7, we begin to learn about him. For example, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, if you've got your Bible with you, that's where we're going this morning. Chapter 7 is where we're going to start. We're going to be looking at all these different verses in chapter 7 and in chapter 8. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't worry. The text will be on the screen behind me, but I can almost guarantee everyone's got his or her phone, I know that, on vibrate, right? On silent. And you can be there in your Bible app as well. Ezra 7, 1 through 5, we learn Ezra is a direct descendant of the first high priest, Aaron. Let's look at that text. It starts out by saying, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, and then it goes through all these son-ofs, 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 that names I have a hard time pronouncing, so I won't torture you with it. But the point is this, we get down to the last son of. And we see there in verse 5, son of Aaron, the chief priest. The whole point of that is to show that this Ezra is a direct descendant of the very first chief priest. You remember Aaron, Moses's brother, the very first chief. Ezra is in direct line with him. Okay, so he's an heir to this priestly line. And it says this in verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. That's Babylon. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. Then we're told why. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. This Ezra, if you're wondering what's going on here, this is about 60 years, by the way, after where we left off last week. After um, Zerubbabel goes back and takes all those people and, and starts to build back the temple. About 60 years later, we get another wave of people going back with Ezra. But only about 2,000 of them or less, it's a little less, go back with him. And this is where all this starts. And we see that the king let him have anything he wanted for that trip. But we're also told why, because God's hand was on him. Most of you have a handout that I've given you. If you didn't have the handout, that's okay. You can just follow along in your Bible, but the handout's going to be especially helpful. Because then we're going to see also in verse 9, look at chapter 7, verse 9. It says, for on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from And On the first day of the first month, he came to Jerusalem. Why? For the good hand of his God was on him. Now we're told, he starts to travel. He starts this journey, and he goes, and he makes it. Because God's hand was on him. And there's more, as you see, also in your handout. We have another one, don't we? Ezra 7:28. We see here that Ezra takes courage before the king and his men, and gathers all these men, and they go up with him. Let's look at verse 28. This is in the context, by the way, of the king writing a letter. We actually get it in our text. Ezra included it in the text. He just like grabbed that letter and just said, I'm just gonna put this in my narrative here and just plops it right in there. And we're, we're not going to cover that, but it goes from verses 21 to uh, verse 26. This is his is king's letter that he wrote where he's basically saying, hey, I'm the king. I'm gonna let Ezra go back and I'm gonna give him all that he wants and I even want people to go with him. And if anybody... Um, disobeys him and things like that. There's going to be punishment because he's going to get to appoint all these people that he wants. And then we get Ezra just bubbling out this praise after this letter's written. And this, this bubbling of praise starts in verse 27. Look at this. He just starts out saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this, into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. Why? For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered all these leading men together. So we keep getting that, don't we? We keep getting this a lot. The hand of God is upon me. The hand of God was upon me, and that's why this happened. The hand of God was upon me, and that's why this happened. We keep getting this over and over again. Remember that hypothetical conversation I had? We, I, I said, we had earlier, I said, what if I pointed at somebody and said, the hand of God is on that man? If you haven't picked up on that, it's Ezra, right? I'm pointing at him and saying, Boy, the hand of God is on that man. Look at all the ways God is blessing him that's what i'm showing you in the text here right next if you do have that handout look at the one that's next you'll see now we're going into chapter eight ezra has sent ministers for the house of god so what happens is this they um start out on their journey to go back and uh, ezra realizes that hey wait a second we don't have any levites And if you don't know, the Levites were from the tribe of Levi, and they were the ones who were commissioned to take care of all the holy things. The holy articles for the temple, temple worship, teaching of the word, all the holy religious stuff. The Levites were in charge of that. That was their job. That's who they were. And so Ezra is saying, wait a second, we don't have any of these guys and they're pretty important. Let's get some. And so what we see for this in Ezra um, eight, eighteen, is that uh, he gathers all these people at the river and uh, he says, wait, there's no sons of Levi here among us as you see in verse 15, if you have your Bible open. And then in verse 16, he sends for these people that he wants to come. And then in verse 18... It says this, And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen. And so again, he says, Hey, we got this guy, we got all these people that we wanted. Why? It's because the good hand of God was on us. He keeps crediting the good hand of God For this, Then we see something else we can emulate about Ezra and something that we're really focusing on in this series. We see that he's a man of prayer because what happens, they're about to set out on this journey. And it's not a short journey, it's a long journey. I forget how many days it was going to take them, but quite a while. And then in verse 21, look what it says. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God. To seek him, I mean I'm sorry, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on the way, since, <laughs> since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for us, for good for all of us who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened. To our entreaty. That would be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it, to stand in front of the king and say, Whoa, our God, he's so great and powerful, he's for good, for all those who seek him. And his hand is against all those who are against him. So therefore, we need a bunch of people to protect us. He says, I was ashamed to do that because I said this, and I know it's true. And so therefore, we just started off on our journey hastily. No. He said, I know it's true, so we asked for it. He fasted and prayed and asked that God would protect him. So what do we also see about Ezra? He's a man of prayer, serious prayer. is isn't just pray. He says, no, listen, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to really get our own attention, and we're going to get God's attention about this. We're going to humble ourselves and fast and pray. Well, what happens? Does God do it? Thankfully, we don't have to guess. We get the answer. Look at verse 31. This is 831. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way, which was a real threat back then. It was a real threat. Um, remember the parable where Jesus told about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho or vice versa? I forget. But that road, and he says that he, he fell among thieves and they, and, and they beat him and stripped him. And a Levite came and a priest came and then a Samaritan came. Remember that? Well, the reason why he chose that road is because everybody's like, oh, we know that road. It's really dangerous. And yes, this is a very likely parable you're telling. We know so-and-so got mugged on that road. We know this guy that got killed on that road or whatever. It was common in that day is what I'm trying to tell you. And so them asking about this, them asking for help, would have been needed. And them getting the help was even more exciting because it was likely to have a problem fall upon you on this journey. And they said, nothing happened. Why, we're told? Why? Because the good hand of our God was on us. So we see all these examples. Six in the handout I gave you. You see that six different examples there in Ezra 7 and in Ezra 8, all saying, the hand of the Lord was on me, or the good hand of the Lord was upon us, or the good hand of God is upon all those who seek him. The hand of God, hand of God, hand of God, on, 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 meaning God blessing right but why that's what I want to ask is is why why was God's blessing upon this man remember I told you earlier that you just assume if God's blessing is on someone it's it's for a reason it's not just for no reason and definitely not because he's wicked Well, there's one more thing that I skipped over on purpose because we're not just told that God's blessing is on Ezra six times. We're actually told why God's blessing is on Ezra. And that's what I want to really focus on. So you'll see there in the image that I have behind me, I tried to pick an image of a guy that looked like a scribe. See him holding the little feather pin there? That's because he's a scribe. Ezra goes back to the holy city, Jerusalem. He gets to go back. But we're told why in chapter 7, verse 9, he got to go back for the good hand of his God was on him. But then we get a third. We get another layer. See, we get the outside picture, Ezra returning to Jerusalem. Why? Because God's good hand was upon him. Then we get a third level. But why was God's good hand upon him? Why? Because that's really important, isn't it? I said, if I asked you one-on-one, do you want God's blessing on your life? You'd all say yes. Okay, so let's talk about how that happens then. Because it doesn't just magically happen just because you really, really want it to. How? Why was God's good hand upon Ezra? We're told we get another layer, we get another level in verse 10. And I love chapter 7, verse 10. I've loved it for years. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, wow. This is like a gem. This is like a key. It's like, I just found a golden key to open so many doors. Look at this. We are told, it starts with four. Four means like because. Why was his good hand upon him? For Ezra had set his heart to do three things. Study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Why was God's good blessing upon this man? Three reasons. He set his heart to study the law of God, to do it, and to teach it. That's what the text says, right? I mean, I'm not not making this up. I'm not even doing any backflips with this text at all. It says this is why God's good hand of blessing was on him, because he did this, because he did that. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those three things. Let's talk about those three things. Study. Study. I'm, I'm calling it obey. Study, obey, and teach. Those are the three things that Ezra 7:10 focuses on, right? It says do. If you've got the NIV, I believe it says, he set his heart to study the law of God. I think it says to observe it. And if you have the New American Standard Bible, it says to practice it. So the, the idea is obedience. Like if I said, are you going to do the word of God? What's that mean? Well, Are you going to obey it, right? So do, I think it's, it's fine to substitute with obey. I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm changing anything here. I think it's very reasonable to put the word obey. To study, obey, and teach. Out of these three things, prayer naturally grows up. It can't not grow up out of these three things. Why do I believe that? Well, let's start with the word, okay? Let's just start with, with the word. If you are in the word of God, studying it. David naturally understood and knew that he's supposed to pray. Like it says in the Psalms, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. He says that. He says, Lord, I need you to open my eyes. I'm about to look at your law, but I understand that I need my eyes opened to see what's actually there. What I'm trying to say is this. When you study the Word of God, you're going to naturally pray because you're going to see, there's, I know there's more here than what I'm seeing. So Father, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your Word. Have you ever seen one of those pictures that where you stand way back from it? I don't know, like it looks like a person's face. Like when you stand way back and it's got the shading and all that on it, you can see like it's a person's face and it's lighter up here towards the forehead where where the most of the light would be hitting, and it's lighter on the nose, it's lighter on the cheeks, and, you know, lighter here on the chin. And then there's more shading here, and there's more dark under the eyebrows, and dark under the nose, and dark under the lip, you know, where all the shading's supposed to be. And then you walk closer to it, and you say, oh my goodness. It's that whole picture that just looks like a human's kind of fuzzy face from way back there. It's made up of about 10,000 little pictures. That's... That's crazy. You've all seen one of those, right? Or at least seen it online. You say, wow, it's a bunch of little pictures. And then you get even closer and you say, oh, look, there's a, there's a couple here and there's a guy with his dog over here. I didn't even see those. When I was way back here, that's how the word of God is. That, the word of God is like that. It's simple enough that a child who has a basic understanding can at least see something in it. Oh, I see a face there. Okay, I get that. And someone who gets a little closer says, now I see even more. And someone who gets even closer says, now I see even more. The word of God's like that, except guess what? The closer you, you don't ever stop getting close to it. It's always revealing more of itself to you. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. This word is living. And so that's why we would pray naturally if we're in the word studying it. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. If you want to help yourself pray more, Study the Word of God more. I'm telling you, they go hand in hand because the more you study, the more you're seeing. I know there's more here. I know there's more here I'm not seeing. I know there's more. And then also the next one, obey. When you start to strive to obey the Word of God, guess what? It makes you want to pray, Lord, help me obey you today. Help me to walk out this thing that I just studied. I just saw it in your Word here. Please help me do this. Then guess what? You also will naturally pray Pray when you don't do it. It's called confession. You will naturally confess your sins if you truly know the Lord. I'm not just going to assume all of you know the Lord in here. I hope that you would come to know him, though. This sermon, this whole sermon is your invitation, by the way. This whole sermon, God is calling out to you to turn to him, to repent, to come to him. He is gracious to sinners. You need to know this. He's gracious to sinners who know they're sinners and who are willing to come to him. But he resists the proud. So, those of us who naturally know him, it grieves us when we disobey him. It grieves us. I don't have to tell you to confess your sins. If you truly know him, you'll want to. Just like and I don't have to, I wouldn't have to lead you to apologize to your wife if you committed adultery on her. I wouldn't have to say, okay, say this to her. Dear wife, dear wife, I'm really sorry I slept with that woman. I'm really sorry. I wouldn't have to do that. that. That's ridiculous. I don't have to do that because you would naturally be grieved by your own sins against your dear wife. Why? Because you love her. Just like with God, I don't have to twist your arm to confess your sins to him. You naturally would want to confess your sins to a holy God that you love. And so, when it comes to obedience... You pray, Lord, help me obey. And then you also pray, Lord, forgive me for my disobedience. Don't you? You do, if you know Him. This is just natural, isn't it? And then thirdly, let's talk about teaching. (laughs) If you've ever taught the Word of God, you know it makes you pray more. (laughs) Because you're studying it, and now you know, I'm about to have to regurgitate this stuff that I've just learned to other people, and I don't want to get it wrong Lord, please help me do this. Please help me do it well. If you want to talk about teaching on like a more serious level, like in some type of leadership, James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now that verse alone should make anyone who's going to be teaching the Word of God in a leadership position very fearful. Because you know If you're going to be leading and teaching the word of God, guess what? The standard for your judgment just went way up. That's why we see Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land. Just because he hit a rock twice? What gives? We'd say, that's kind of harsh. No, it's because it was Moses. It's because of who he was. He's held to a much higher standard. Just like I will be. Just like I am. That's why I don't mince words when it comes to lovingly telling you all the truth. I, I have to and I want to. And the best thing I could give you is the truth, right? Would you rather me tell you a lie? I'm doing it because I love you. Because I'm going to be held to a higher standard. And really, it comes to any of us who are going to be teaching truth in any way. You moms, guess what? You're teaching truth to your children, aren't you? I hope so. And ask God to help you do it, okay? I know what it's like to be a mom and a dad and... I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I know what it's like to be a dad. Okay, I'm still a man. Okay, that's not gonna change. (laughs) I know what it's like to be a parent. There you go. Trying to teach the word of God to your children and always feeling like you're not doing it good enough. I know that feeling, okay? I know that feeling. And that's why we pray and we ask God to help us. What's my point? In studying... And obeying, and teaching the Word of God, all three of those create prayer in your life. Okay? They do. They just naturally create prayer in your life. So let's talk about this now. All three of these are necessary. Let's talk about if we take one of them away. Let's start with obey, okay? All three of these are very necessary. What if I, what if I just study... And teach, but don't obey. What do you call those kind of people who know a lot of the Bible and teach it, but don't do it? What do you call those people? It starts with an H, and people call us it all the time. Hypocrites, right? That's what we call people who know truth and tell other people truth, but don't do the truth. We say, You're a hypocrite. When they say, Hey, lying's bad, and they lie. Stealing's bad, they steal. Hey, sex outside of marriage is bad, living with their girlfriend. We say, you're a hypocrite. That's, you are a living contradiction, my friend. That's what we call those people. Do you see why all three of these are necessary? Studying, obeying, and teaching. They're all necessary. Let's now move on to something else. Let's now, let's say, what if you study and obey, but you don't teach? You study and you obey, but you don't teach. You say, well, okay, what's wrong with that? N- not everybody's a teacher, Cohen. Okay, I don't necessarily mean like teaching like I'm doing. I just mean giving out the truth to anybody in any way because we're not all called to this position to do what I do. Some of you, when I ask you, hey, would you like to read my sermon text this morning? Some of you say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read in front of people. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no problem, <laughs> Calm down. It's okay. <laughs> it's like, I'll ask someone else. Some of you, the thought of getting up here and opening your mouth and talking about anything makes you like hyperventilate. So not all of us are called to this, are we? And guess what? I'm not, I'm not good at what you're good at. Okay. Some of you ladies are really good at caring about other people. I'm like, I didn't even think about that. Thank you so much. I did not even think about taking a meal to those people and doing that thing. And wow, I'm so grateful for you. So we all need each other, right? So we all teach in different ways. Giving the truth out to anyone in any way, I think, is a form of teaching, okay? How many of you have heard of the Dead Sea? You've heard of the Dead Sea? Yeah. Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because nothing can live in it, right? Why can nothing live in it? Why? So salty. You know why it's so salty? It's one of the lowest points. I think I've even heard it's the lowest point, but I don't know if it's true. It's a very, very, very low point on planet Earth. You know what that means? All the rainwater and everything from all those mountains flows down into it, but never flows out of it. It has no way to get rid of all the salt. So it just collects and collects and collects. So what am I saying? The Dead Sea is dead because it's always receiving and never giving. It's always receiving and never giving. Let me tell you this. When it comes to the truth of the word of God, if you're always receiving truth, always receiving truth and never giving it out to anyone, it has a similar effect in you. There's a part of you that's not quite living because Jesus Christ was the most generous man on planet earth. He was always giving out truth, always helping, always doing the Father's will, right? And so to receive and receive and receive truth and to never give it out ever, it's really not good for you, is it? It's I would even say it's not right, is it? I love the saying. I'm a beggar telling another beggar where I found some bread. That's what we do with the truth. That's really all it is, is I'm just telling listen, I just I found some bread here. We're both beggars. We're both starving. I found some bread, and I just want to share it with you. That's all we're doing when we give out the truth, right? Offering it. Of course, you can't make them eat it, can you? (laughs) If only you could. (laughs) Sometimes we try to, though, don't we? Sometimes we try to force-feed people. (laughs) So, if you study and obey, but don't teach, you're in danger of becoming like the Dead Sea. Well, now, what about the third thing? What if we... Take away study. Remember, all three, are, all three of these are necessary. And we're just looking at all three scenarios if we take one out. What if we just obey and teach but don't study? Well, what are we in danger of at that point? We're in danger of being false teachers. Let me tell you why. Because you're very legalistic. You're saying, oh, well, I know this is true, so you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And you're telling everybody you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. But guess what? You. Might be wrong. You know why? Because you don't ever open your Bible to look at it. You're just going off of whatever experience, perhaps, what you've been told, tradition, and you're in danger of becoming a false teacher at that point. And, of course, extremely legalistic, too. Legalistic, what does that mean, kiddos, if you're wondering? It means people who believe you've got to keep all these rules to make God happy. You gotta like keep rules and do this and don't and do and don't and do and don't and do and don't. And that's all they ever talk about. That's all they ever are, really, is they're just like do, 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 don't, don't, don't. It's not about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not about being forgiven. It's not about grace. It's about do. Not performing? Get out of here. You're not good enough. That's legalism. And this leads to that. So that's why I say All three of these are very important. And that's why God's good hand of blessing was on Ezra. Because he said his heart has studied the law of God to do it and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. And prayer naturally grows out of all of that. Don't you see? Don't you see that? And isn't that good? And I'm trying to basically give you very practical ways to just help you in your prayer life. Because none of us, none of us say these lines, I am just so really good at praying. I pray, definitely pray enough, and I cannot improve in my prayer life anymore. No one says that. No one says that. We all need and want to pray more. Um, I need and want to pray more, okay? And I'm a pastor, and I need and want to pray more and better, better. Because guess what? God's not so much looking for time, punching a clock. You know that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer? Sweet Hour of Prayer? It's an old hymn, in case you young ones don't know it. I don't like that song. I'm just going to say it. Um, I've never prayed an hour. I don't think I've ever prayed an hour. Um, Just like I've never talked to my wife for a straight hour. I don't think my wife would want me to talk to her for a straight hour. Okay? What I usually get is, I, I don't listen enough. That's what I usually get. And she's right. So you know what? I don't think talking for an hour would help me with my listening. I don't think so. If I don't talk to my wife, for an hour straight. I know what the hymn is trying to say, I guess, but there are really some people that say, no, 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 no. Look, you listen to me. You want to be holy? Keep that rule. Pray for an hour. Why? Why? Do you really think God is in heaven with his stopwatch saying, all right, let's see how long he prays. Wow, that joker's going for 20 minutes. I wonder if he'll make it this time. I wouldn't want an earthly father like that. (laughs) And I would be really disappointed if my heavenly father was like that. But guess what? I don't have to guess because I know what he's like because he tells me in his word what he's like. He tells me also in his word that studying, obeying, and teaching are the ways to have a better talking relationship with him. Prayer grows out of these things naturally, okay? And so I just want to keep it very simple for you. Sometimes these prayer series, you've heard them, I've heard them, it's all about... Okay, try this. Start doing this. Don't do that. I don't want to do that. I just want to say, these three key things, you bolster those up in your life just a little more, and guess what? You're going to start praying more, just naturally. Just naturally. Isn't that encouraging? So very encouraging. And so I want to leave you on that encouraging word. Study the word. Obey the word. Teach the word. And if you're saying, I struggle with those three things, which is why I said pray about them, did I not? I struggle with them too, guys. I struggle with them too. Cohen, I get so distracted when I, when I try to pray. and when I, try to, when I try to read my Bible, I get so distracted. Join the club. I do too. What do you do at work to help you not be distracted? Because I doubt when your boss comes in and he says, hey, you got those things for me? You know, I was just so distracted. Yeah, have fun with that, right? Do the things that help you not be distracted at other times, right? Just practice these things, guys. Practice them. Walk with them, and God will meet you there. God will help you, and that's how the good hand of God will also be upon you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these very uh, simple and encouraging truths that we hear from your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ, of course, showed us these things more perfectly than anyone else. Lord, I pray, of course, we do want to copy Ezra in his habits and in his way of life so that we can have the good hand of God upon us. But Lord, we know that he was doing those things because he had the Spirit of God within him, the Spirit of Christ. And so we ultimately, of course, follow Christ. We thank you for his shed blood. We thank you that he makes it possible for even me to pray to you now. He's the one who's the great mediator between God and man. So I thank you for all this in his perfect name, amen.